You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 182 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. I don't know if it's summer where you are in the world, but it certainly is summer where I am. Nevertheless, I hope you all are enjoying yourselves. And as you might know by now, unless you are new to the podcast, is that I have a Patreon page. Do you want to support this podcast? Yeah! Go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. If you become a patron, you'll be able to hear these episodes before everyone else, as well as access exclusive content. Join us at the round table of the Divine Mystery. Wow! Because I record a lot ahead of time in order to avoid a heart attack uh, from the stress, it might take some time before I give a shout out to those that become a patron here in the podcast. But please be patient. I will thank you publicly eventually. I'm struggling with what this podcast is. I know you can read the about page on naturalbornalchemist.com and in a sense that is what the podcast is, what it says there. But uh, also it isn't because what am I doing? It's weird. Not sure this is something any of you dear listeners can relate to but I thought I'd share a bit what I'm struggling with in regards to the podcast. Do I make these episodes for me or for the listener? I guess I have to make them for me. You know, that's what I did when I began doing this podcast many years ago before I had any listeners at all. But the reason I think about this is because I am a weirdo. I've noticed that many of the listeners I have are deeply into yoga, healing and meditation. But... I'm worried that maybe they're not into serial killers as much as I am. (laughs) Also, I've noticed that many of my listeners are liberals. But are they as liberal as I am? Because I'm so liberal that I do not think democracy is liberal enough and that we should move away from such antiquated concepts. You know, anarchism is what turns me on. And no, it does not mean chaos. I'm not saying that all the people who listen to this podcast should agree with everything I say. I don't even agree with everything I say, not even with what I just said. But do I have any responsibility to, as they say, entertain the crowd? Should I have any consideration for my listeners, meaning that, you know, maybe I want to talk about serial killers, but perhaps all my listeners are interested in the healing properties of psychedelics or other new age shit. (laughs) Maybe they don't want to hear about serial killers. Um, But as I said before, I'm not doing these episodes for you. I'm doing them for me. And if you enjoy them, and if you listen and like it, then, uh, you know, everybody wins. 
Maybe I'm thinking too much about it, but I thought I should mention this. I feel I have in some way been a bit restrictive. I mean, I have consciously used fewer curse words than I normally do. And I've consciously tried to over-explain a position to be certain I'm not misunderstood. Now, am I doing this because I'm afraid to be lifted out of context or be run over by a train of social justice warriors that miss the point that my position is not left, it's not right, it's not center? I I just fuck around with ideas. And... uh, Another thing is that if I do think about the listeners, do I make less episodes that have guests or more episodes that have guests? The first few years of this podcast, I was kind of in the background in a sense. And I have in the past few years taken a bigger space in these episodes than I did before. I also hate to repeat myself, which is practically impossible not to do, which is practically impossible not to do. And I have many weird ideas and I also have humor. If other people don't think I'm funny, well, I cannot do anything about that. But I would like to do more weird and funny and artistic stuff. It's boring to only do guests with debates or questions and answers, especially when sometimes or most of the time I kind of know the answers the guests will give, you know. Uh, That's the reason I'm talking to that particular guest because I'm already interested in what that guest is doing or writing or thinking. So I guess it's all a show. And the music. I like a lot of weird music and even though the music I play is not really mainstream, uh, I still consciously pick music that is more normal than the really abnormal stuff I also love. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I have been keeping it real light. Meaning I've softened myself a bit for for this podcast. I've been trying to not be too loud, too extreme, too wild. Because when I go 100% people usually freak out. But hey, maybe this podcast is not about me. And it's not about you. There are bigger more important things going on here that we cannot yet understand. So with that as an introduction, let's dive into the topic of this episode. It's not about you. Or as it can also be said, it's not about me. It depends on who says it to who. You get the idea. Since I was little, I always had a fascination with serial killers. And I remember in creative writing class in school, I wrote a story about a serial killer who started doubting his serial killerness. He started to have regret and he started to think like, you know, maybe I should love people and not kill them, you know. And uh, I handed the story in and the teacher said it was a very... Good story, I mean it was written well and that, but he said that the plot, the fact that the serial killer started to change his mind was unrealistic. So that's why he didn't give me a top grade for that essay. And this always annoyed me because I've always believed that it doesn't matter how dark you get, you can always turn to the light. One serial killer that I find particularly interesting is Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, 
Dahmer was known as the Milwaukee Cannibal and he was an American serial killer and sex offender. He committed rape, murder, dismemberment of as many as 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991. Many of his later murders involved necrophilia, cannibalism and the permanent preservation of body parts, typically all or part of the skeleton. He was eventually sentenced to 16 life sentences and later murdered by a fellow inmate. When he died, he had already, according to himself and his father, become a born-again Christian. And Dahmer stated on more than one occasion that he was prepared to face any punishment by fellow inmates because of what he had done. Dahmer claimed that he loved the people he killed, that he wanted to be a part of them, and that is why he ate them. I am by no means trying to justify what Dahmer did, but if Dahmer had had a different life and a different society, maybe a society that wasn't so much against homosexuality, because between 1978 and 1991 in Milwaukee, it wasn't that easy to be a homosexual, which Dahmer was. So maybe if he had grown up today, he could have showed his love in a different form. Dahmer sticks out because most, if not all, serial killers have some sort of sadistic aspect. Dahmer never really enjoyed killing and he loved the people he killed. And we cannot know for sure, people can lie, but I watched a lot of interviews with Dahmer and for my part I do believe him and I do believe that he has regret. He shows regret and remorse and... For this reason, he's very different from the rest and a fascinating individual. Because most serial killers, they don't show any remorse. They're psychopaths. Dahmer, either he is such a sociopath that he pretends to show remorse and he does it so well that you believe him. Or, as I think, he actually does feel remorse. I think if we understand the dark side, we can better understand the light side. I spent 15 years heavily interested in the dark side of humanity and now I'm more focused on the light side. And I think my knowledge of serial killers and my knowledge of the teachings of the wise sages of the past complement each other. Now that might sound completely fucked up to some people, I understand. And to be clear, I had an interest in serial killers because they were so far away, so different and so macabre and so mysterious. Well, it wasn't that I was interested in the fact that they hurt people. I was more interested in the inside, in their warped psychology. There I go again, over-explaining something to make sure no one thinks I support serial killers, which I don't. Ah, fuck. <laughs> Do I really have to be clear about that? Anyway, let's listen to what Dahmer had to say at the end of his trial, in which he pleaded guilty to all charges. Your Honor, it is over now. This has never been a case of trying to get free. 
I didn't ever want freedom. Frankly, I wanted death for myself. This was a case to tell the world that I did what I did not for reasons of hate. I hated no one. I knew I was sick or evil or both. Now I believe I was sick. The doctors have told me about my sickness, and now I have some peace. I know how much harm I have caused. I tried to do the best I could after the arrest to make amends, but no matter what I did, I could not undo the terrible harm I have caused. I feel so bad for what I did to those poor families, and I understand their rightful hate. I decided to go through this trial for a number of reasons. One of the reasons was to let the world know that these were not hate crimes. I wanted the world in Milwaukee, which I deeply hurt, to know the truth of what I did. I didn't want unanswered questions. All the questions have now been answered. I wanted to find out just what it was that caused me to be so bad and evil. But most of all, Mr. Boyle and I decided that maybe there was a way for us to tell the world that if there are people out there with these disorders, maybe they can get some help before they end up being hurt or hurting someone. I think the trial did that. What I think is interesting is that Dahmer basically says that in the bigger scheme of things, what happened had nothing to do with him, meaning that the effects of his actions would perhaps stop more people from doing what he did. Basically, it was not about him. Maybe I'm not explaining this well. I will try with another soundbite, this one from the movie Doctor Strange. In this short audio sample, Dr. Strange is talking to his mentor called the Ancient One. I never saw your future, only its possibilities. You have such a capacity for goodness. You always excelled, but not because you craved success, but because of your fear of failure. That's what made me a great doctor. It's precisely what kept you from greatness. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. Which is? It's not about you. It's not about you. Death is what gives life meaning. To know your days are numbered. Your time is short. I was also surprised in this film that they basically said what I had written and come up with over 20 years ago, that the meaning of life is death. Now, of course, I cannot patent such a statement and I'm not going to sue anyone, but since it is the first time I heard it phrased exactly as I phrased it to myself one stormy night long ago, well, I I was surprised to hear it in a Marvel movie of all places. Anyway... That is not the point of the sound bite that I played from Doctor Strange. Um, The point is the phrase, it's not about you. And I have had a sort of synchronicity with this phrase for the past year and I've been thinking about it for a long time. I recently saw the excellent documentary about the life of Krishna Das called One Track Heart. And Krishna Das is an American vocalist known for his performances of Hindu devotional music known as Kirtans, which is chanting the names of God. And he's released 14 albums since 1996. 
But in August 1970, Krishna Das traveled to India, where, as Ram Das had done before him, he became a devotee of the Hindu guru Neem Karoli Baba, also referred to as Maharaji. In the recording I'm about to play, taken from the documentary One Track Heart, Krishna Das is talking about his struggles with fame, about his place in the world, because his guru Maharaji, named Karoli Baba, had told him to chant to the world. And this brought him great success, and it fed his ego. I mean, he was even nominated for a Grammy. And he became lost in despair and drugs. So he went back to India. And, um, well, listen for yourself. It reminded me of this part of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna shows Arjuna his divine form. And Arjuna looks and he sees all beings entering into Krishna and all beings leaving Krishna in this cycle of incarnation and birth and death. And Krishna says, I come as time, the great destroyer. But at the same time, nothing's moving in the universe. There's perfect stillness. I went to sit behind the Durga temple where I, Maharaji had made me the pujari there back in the old days. And I leaned up against the temple and I just closed my eyes. The next thing I knew, I was coming back. And I had no idea how long I had been sitting there. No idea. But I was now fully, deeply, and completely in this state of peaceful presence. This vast space outside of which there could not be anything like the clouds in the sky, like the earth, like everything is held in space. And I wasn't there. Who I knew myself as was not there anymore. And I was just present. And I felt as if I had like a wave in the ocean. The ocean and the wave are not different. They appear different at certain times because certain forces cause a wave to be formed. The wave must think it's really great, right? And then it dissolves. Why bother to get all puffed up, you know, with all that shit? You're gonna dissolve sooner or later. It makes no difference. It's temporary. Don't get so caught up in it. There's just water here. Big, wet ocean. So for a minute you're like this, then you're not. That's a life. And even when I think I'm a wave, I'm just ocean. And that's what, that moment, this freed me to go back to America and really to be able to sing 100%. Because it wasn't about me, which is what I had been longing for. To be free to sing, to not be in my own way. And now for the first time in my life, I was out of my own way. There was nobody there to turn it off, to push it away, to turn the volume down, to protect himself from. There was just this love everywhere. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. 
Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare. I was freed from thinking that I was doing this, that I was the one chanting, that it was my responsibility. It wasn't about me at all. Because it wasn't about me. 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 Check out Krishna Das music. Go to krishnadas.com. That's K R I S H N A, Krishna, D A S.com. So I hope that brought my message home. Imagine if we lived our lives not for ourselves, but for everyone around us. If we all served everyone else. I think that is an interesting outlook on life and something I'm going to consciously try and do more and more yeah so i've been recording myself in my car whilst driving talking about various films that i enjoy and highly recommend i call this segment the moving image in a moving vehicle Martin Scorsese has made many great films and uh, some of his most famous I guess are Taxi Driver, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, kind of recent and and, yeah many other good fellas, many films. And the film that most people who love Martin Scorsese films, you know, the film they usually don't like that much, from my experience, is a film that I think is his best film, because my taste is weird. (laughs) It's a film about the Dalai Lama called Kundun. And uh, so it's basically a biographical film. But what's amazing with this film is how, how music is used, how it's edited, and how it's shot. It's, it's extremely beautiful and uh, beautifully put together. I love this film. And uh, I've seen it many times. And uh, of course, it also has a lot of Buddhism in it, which is always interesting. There's uh, two 
two things mainly I want to mention about this film that stand out for me. There's one, there's one cut in the film that, and now you know, I might sound like a real film geek right now, but that's because I am. There's a scene when Kundun, which is the Dalai Lama, is traveling in ra- in the rain, and this this scene is cut after this comes a scene of a monk uh, making a mandala you know when you take like colored sand and you place it in a certain way so it creates an an image so the monk is, is grabbing like a pinch of with his fingers a pinch of the sand and he, he sprinkles it and when he sprinkles the sand it cut it cuts actually this is before it cuts to the scene with the rain and the sand sprinkling fits perfectly with the rain i mean this this cut is one of the best cuts in a film ever uh, there is one uh, you know there's a very famous cut that is considered the best cut made in a film ever and it's uh, Lawrence of Arabia when uh, a match is lit and the next scene is a scorching sun in the desert that's also a great cut uh, both both these two cuts are are excellent and I'm pretty sure Martin Scorsese got his inspiration for this cut from the match and the sun scene in La- Lawrence of Arabia there's another thing, reason why Kundan is an important film for me because the music of Philip Glass is what is played in Kundun. And uh, it's actually watching this film in the cinema is actually how I discovered Philip Glass's music. And ever since that day, I've enjoyed and loved. The music of Philip Glass, it's very psychedelic music. It fits perfectly with uh, a large quantity of uh, magic mushrooms. And uh, Philip Glass's music is, is, for me, very spiritual. And uh, uh, if, if I would go to a deserted island and I could only bring one piece of music, it would be something by Philip Glass, probably. Some people find Philip Glass's music repetitive, but uh, it's not. It's 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 more like mantra, I think. You know, chanting, and uh, it creates. It, it inspires the mind. It's it's like steroids for the mind, I think. Philip Glass's music. It's very. Con- contemplative and deep so you know Kunan is is a great film you know turn the sound up you don't even have to watch the film you could still enjoy it by just hearing the music in my opinion but you know watch it as well because the imagery to the music is amazing so go check out Kundun Oh, oh! I, I want to say one more thing. I, I wrote an essay on Philip Glass's music that you can find on the naturalbornalchemist.com in the writing section. 
where I talk a bit more about Philip Glass's music. So you can also check that out. Now let's close this episode with a song or track or spoken word, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Well, it's called actually How You Change People. And it's by Garrett John Loporto. And Garrett uh, was the guy who invented the Wayseers movement or manifesto. You can check it out at wayseers.org. And again, remember, it's not about you. Or if I speak from my own perspective, it's not about me. So maybe doing these podcasts, you know, thinking about why I'm doing it and why are you listening to it, maybe there's some bigger, grander thing happening that we don't know yet. Freedom is in the mind. You may not like how things are going. You may not agree with those who seem to have power over your happiness. But here is a great secret of life. You have way more influence than you realize. Gandhi called this influence truth force, love force, soul force. It is the inherent power in you to conjure the truth and the very best in other people. It is the power in you to change people's hearts and minds by changing the way you see them by changing the way you observe them. Nobel physicist Max Planck said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Scientists have discovered that when a teacher is merely told a student has a higher IQ, that student's IQ rises to meet the teacher's expectations. Expecting the best from people brings out the best in people. But the reverse is also true. Seeing the worst in people brings out the worst in people. Your consciousness has the power to conjure the very best or the worst in everyone you observe, even at a distance. Our friends, our families, our children, our co-workers, our police, even our presidents, we have the power to change each and every one of their hearts and minds simply by changing our own hearts and minds about them. We all have darkness in us, but we also have the light. And in every moment we have another chance, another choice of whether darkness or the light is given reign over our consciousness. What you stand witness for in others is strengthened in them by the power of your observation. When you look for the worst in someone, when you make them wrong in your mind, when you refuse to see the best in them, you are committing a spiritual assault of the worst kind. For you are testifying against their ability to choose the light, standing witness for the darkness in them and strengthening its power over their heart and mind. If you've ever faced a hostile crowd, a hostile cop, a hostile lover, you've felt the destructive force of another's contempt for you. Do not give in to this way of seeing. Stand witness for the light in others. The unassailable divine spark forever shines in the hearts of every man, woman, and child, just waiting to be called forward. When you call on the divine spark in someone, you lend it the strength to prevail in their consciousness. The power of your divine witnessing calls forth the truth in other people's minds. It calls forth the love in their hearts. It calls forth the grace and the beauty of their souls. Divine witnessing is the most powerful form of nonviolence because it heals the very source of violence. It turns your enemies into friends, even when you thought they were deplorable and wrong. In a place where you see no light, you make your own. You call upon the divine spark within you and invite it to reveal itself in those who oppose you. 
the divine spark in your heart ignites itself in others through the blazing light and love of your consciousness. Witness for that. Strengthen that. Insist upon that. The truth in me calls out to the truth in you. For it is only that I will stand witness to. It is only that I am determined to see. It is only that I will testify for. For to condemn you would be to condemn me, and we are the same. And so I insist on regarding you as true and good and wise and kind. And so it will be, because that is what we all want to see.